Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kaylin and today from the Brainwaves team we have Terry who will be interviewing our guest today, Deb Putin. Deb is an eco-psychologist, eco-art therapist, facilitator, environmental educator and permaculture landscape designer. She currently works at the Port Phillip Eco Centre within her Greensong business where she practices various methods of connecting with nature to create healthier relationships within self, community and environment. And Deb is here today to talk about eco-psychology and her business green song. Now before we get started, I'd like to begin by acknowledging and paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land in which I am coming to you from today. Land where we tell our stories and land where stories have been told by the traditional owners for many years before us. I would like to pay my respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who may be listening in today. Welcome to Brainwaves, Deb. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Welcome to Brainwaves, Deb. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Thank you, Terry. Um, I come from a nursing background, mainly mental health, many, many years ago, and then horticulture, landscape design and environment education. And they didn't seem to connect until I began studies in eco-psychology in 2012. Very interesting. Good on you. Can you tell us what eco-psychology is? Sure. Um, Eco-psychology studies the interconnected relationships between human beings and our natural world with the aim to create greater well-being. And the word eco-psychology comes from the Greek eco, ekos, as in house or dwelling, psychology um, being interpreted as the health of the soul or the spirit. And eco-psychology is not conventional psychology. Eco-psychology was founded by Theodore Rozak in um, the 1990s. He's, um, I'm pretty sure, American, but I'm not 100% sure. He wrote a book called The Voice of the Earth, and in that he goes into much more detail about the belief that human beings are nature and not separate from our natural world, and that our goal is to bridge the cultural culture's long-standing gulf between psychological and ecological so that we can see that the needs of the planet are actually our needs as well and that we can't survive without um, our environment without our community and those relationships absolutely does he have uh, strong indigenous connections is that where that that philosophy developed from or I think a lot of eco-psychology does look at in uh, indigenous cultures and practices and ways of 
living that uh, were much more sustainable to self, community and our environment. And uh, then looking at how our cultures changed and shifted and that, you know, perhaps there was um, trauma caused every time we had to leave a home country and move to another one. Yes. For whatever reason, like ancestry coming from Ireland. Yeah. Um, you know, the trauma from leaving something and then having to adapt to something new can then, um, we can lose our rituals and our practices mm -hmm. that were more sustainable, that did connect us in on that innate level to our, our planet and our, you know, local environments. Uh, and, and then, you know, we keep perpetuating that as we, you know, we have intergenerational trauma from, you know, what, what stems down from there. And until we really address that, we, we keep unconsciously um, doing damage. Very interesting. Now, can you tell us about the Port Phillip Echo Centre and your green song business? Yeah, I work at Port Phillip Eco Centre. It's located in um, the, at the moment in a very tiny building in the corner of um, St Kilda Botanical Gardens. Yes. But it, we are hoping to get a new building because we can't all work in there at the one time. We yeah. have a lot of ex school excursions. We go into yes. a lot of schools and do a lot of work. So we're actually out in the work in the environment a lot of the time, uh, mm. working with volunteers, with corporate volunteers, with researchers, with uh, universities. Um, my roles, uh, environment education, and um, I especially love community garden on a Friday with volunteers and mm. and revegetation projects with volunteers. It's that's that's Fantastic. where my passions yeah. lie. I keep putting my hand up for the um, skill thing that runs on a Sunday, maybe once a month, you know, rejuvenating equipment. I, I do. I'm most impressed with the Port Phillip, what I know of the Port Phillip Echo Centre. I did do a walk led maybe by volunteers and they took us along the foreshore there down around St Kilda and talked about how the industrial age has only been this tiny segment of the world's history and what has happened during that industrial age. I just found it such a fabulous um, analogy by using distance, walking distance, uh, to get you to understand that. Um, they are called deep time walks. Yes. And the Eco Centre has a volunteer who's running those again now. And what it does is it helps you put into perspective, which then draw, you know, if we have that kind of big perspective, we can see that we are one small component of yeah. everything that is and everything that was and everything that will be. And yeah. we only have a small role to play. It's not such a huge daunting task that we are here on this planet now. Mm. So um, my green song business is really... Yeah just fills in those little bits that I don't get to fulfil within my eco-centre work. Yep. And that's more of the work one-on-one -on -one with people and going a little bit deeper into our connections with nature. And, um, and then from that, we, you know, a lot of people feel inspired to take more pro-environmental action and then I can lead them into, you know, work at the eco-centre as well. We do take um, groups out into the botanical gardens and use yes. the botanical gardens grounds and down to the beach. So yeah. we're very lucky that we've got such a beautiful environment all around us. Mm -hmm. You do. 
Okay, so can you tell us about ways in which eco-psychology can help people with mental health challenges? Yeah, so even if we would just think of eco-psychology basically as being nature therapies, um, we know that there's health benefits from uh, connecting with nature in, a, in a, so many different ways. There's a lot of research being done for many, many years in this sphere. Being in nature, simply just going into nature releases endorphins, dopamine and other hormones that produce good feelings. So we feel rewarded just by being there. There's strong evidence of significant positive associations with green spaces and people's health and well-being is a much higher standard if they live close to those access to green spaces or, or, or blue water. Oh, um, nice. They, they've got research that indicates really positive um, physical and mental health benefits. Yes. And reduces um, depression and anxiety, symptoms of stress, mood disturbance, even sleep, um, sleep disturbances, yep. obesity, and people feel that their quality of life is improved if they have access to these spaces. And so eco-psychology and my practice, which it depends on who you are doing this practice and how you relate it, is we take people into these spaces, but then go into a deeper level so that we can sense something a bit on that far greater side of understanding a perspective of who we are and where we are in the world. Fantastic. Do you think there are specific mental health conditions where eco-psychology may be more beneficial than other therapies? being an eco-psychologist, I think it could complement any other yeah. therapy. And I always say to people, do not stop taking any medication or any therapy that you're actually doing. This is a, a supplement. So some eco-psychologists work in animal-assisted therapies. Post-traumatic stress yes. um, and climate anxiety is one area where I'm specifically um, working in. And I think there's a, there's a lot missing in our society as far as supporting people there. Mm -hmm. Um, it's supposed to be very good for children with learning difficulties and ADHD. Really, the, the methodology and the practices can be incorporated on, a, you know, on, a, on many levels with different people at any different time. And it really depends on the individual or the group intention and um, or the aim of what they want to challenge. And then we explore the possibilities together. Yes, I, I do know I was a outpatient, so involved in day programs at the Melbourne Clinic. And, you know, we would have maybe eight to 10 people in a room without any windows all day long. We know even if we've got an image of nature on the wall in a hospital setting, it will help people improve. Um, yes. It helps lessen pain, um, increase, it, it decreases the amount of time that they're actually spending in hospital if they have access to nature, even, a na even nature pictures. I think many, many hospitals around the world, different types of hospitals are acknowledging the role that nature plays and often they're putting a horticultural therapy component to their hospitals or a healing garden, mm -hmm. reflection garden, those kind of garden designs attached to their garden or on a balcony or in the roof. There's a new hospital built in Bendigo and that has a little, um, just a little tiny bit where you could go and just reflect or sit and be yeah. with nature. It's mm. very, very important. It doesn't even need to be very big. 
Can you give us some examples of eco-psychology as a therapy? Yeah, it can be um, some of those therapies that we just spoke about, those sort of things that could be incorporated in a hospital like we talked about. Um, it yes. could be my the activities I enjoy doing with people is taking people on a what I call a guided walk where we will go, we'll follow a, a little procedure to help us connect to the place. So it's a, it's kind of like a walking and thought, talking practice. We will sometimes lie down on a blanket and just lie there staring at the sky, either in silence or talking for a while. A lot of it will focus around tuning into our senses, yes. being really, really mindful of our senses, and then also being mindful when our brain is starting some sort of activity, whether it's thinking, reasoning, judging, worrying, and then pulling ourselves back to those senses again and exploring them and really do like to explore with fun and play and, and you know, movement. Um, mm. Sometimes there might be a horticultural activity or gardening involved in it. Mm. Um, and I do specifically love eco-art therapy as a creative expression component to the, the practices because eco-art therapy combines the experience that we're having with a creative aspect that can be really helpful for us to process feelings thoughts or experiences even from our past without having to verbalize them or sometimes they we we don't we can't articulate them or we don't know how to articulate them and by being doing something very creative it might even be you know creating a nature mandala with what's around us that then just can help us process and make sense and meaning in a a more um, fluid kind of way. Yeah. I think we always need to be constantly um, checking back and evaluating what we've done and was it beneficial to everyone in the group or if it wasn't for someone, even one person, why wasn't it beneficial to them and what could have we done to support them in having a better experience? Yes, absolutely mm -hmm. essential. Um is eco-psychology a fairly recent therapy? Yes, it is. And I think probably it'll be, it can be found under many different guises and, and different words. But it is a term that, that Theodore Rozak founded in the 1990s. And um, that's very recent. Very yeah, recent. So it's very recent. Yeah. There is very little in Australia, um, as in specifically called this, although there are different types of nature therapies existing across you know, different different planes in our society, yeah. such as forest yeah. therapy, rewilding. Yeah, basically ours, our side of it is to look at what, doing the research as to why people are disconnected and then looking at how can we reconnect them. Um, I will say that eco-psychology is nothing like contemporary psychology or a traditional psychology. It is not psychology at all. And we don't diagnose people yeah. or or treat them we don't yep. you know or assess them for what's wrong with them as in wrong you know what we're saying is something is wrong in our systems that doesn't support this person in being the best they can be how can we offer a method or a an experience that might guide them to having their own experience and deeper insight mm. Mm. It's wonderful i just want to throw in the very, for me, extraordinarily painful statistic that I think we lose eight people a day to suicide in Australia. 
and that there are higher numbers in regional and country areas. Uh, I don't know. I'm just making that comment because those people may have more access to nature. So yeah, I don't know whether you want to make a comment there. Yes, Terry, I've thought a lot about this because yeah. that, that is um, one of the things we hear is if you're in nature, that will do all that work for you. But the fact is a lot of farmers um, are suffering because of all the consequences, like even more and more because of the consequences of climate change and True. all the natural disasters yes. and all of what's going on. Yes. But um, also I think there's so many elements to this and I think we, we, we don't just look at nature, but we also look at community and how we know isolation is a really huge issue. We know that culturally people don't want to talk a lot about how they're feeling if they're not feeling like they're in a great mood, if they're not feeling... Um, you have to be feeling quite courageous to go and talk to a friend about how you're feeling if you're going through yeah. a tough time. Yep. And understanding that this is part of every human being's life is to transition through times where we might be challenging ourselves with our feelings, emotions, thoughts, and that we need to do that in community with each other. So I think that's probably one of the things that's really lacking in more regional areas is that ability to do that. Plus, we simply do not have enough resources, enough psychologists working in areas let, that, that can take patients, let alone, um, you know, let alone people not feeling that they're comfortable to go and talk to someone. So it's almost like we need to really come down a layer and have other kinds of social inclusion programs that don't fit that, con that contempt, you know, the, the, the psychology kind of... Um, traditional go and see a therapist because that's these people are generations of tough old farmers a lot of the time you know they're strong they're resilient but you know knock after knock after knock we mm. all you know need help we need support mm. how does environmentalism and sustainability play a part in eco psychological therapy yeah, i love this question um, I think what this really relates back to is that we are not separate from our natural world. And, you know, we've been growing up in a culture that is basically forcing us to see ourselves as separate, as um, competitive. You know, it, it allows that exploitive growth model to continue in our society. But every time that's happening, we're losing certain people. We're leaving people behind. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we can connect back to our innate self, this is in our DNA. We feel it inside us, these connections. And we actually sometimes feel discomfort and longing if we can't have that place fulfilled. So once we, we reconnect ourselves back, understand we're not separate, and that we rely on our natural systems that our planet provides for our very existence, even on the basic level, is we need healthy food, nutritious food. We need clean water. We need fresh air. If we even tune down to those, those really basic needs, that's a start. And then we can go deeper, deeper, deeper about all the things that nature gives us. And once we, we really get to that place, we feel so appreciative 
that we feel it's a great um, burning desire inside us and it's a great pleasure to be able to reciprocate by gifting nature our time, our effort and our energies to participate in actions that create more life and support life, protect life. And our, our planet can continue in a, on a very beautiful trajectory if we all could feel that way. Yeah, thank you. When we look at different Indigenous cultures from around the world, they often or have a deep connection with their environment. And, uh, you know, particularly, say, we know our Indigenous populations in Australia have that. Um, how, as an eco-psychologist, how do you think it may impact on those cultures when their connection to land is no longer there, is severed? Mm. Mm. I think, uh, you know, this really... Um, it really saddens me when I see what's happening around the world, especially because of our, our lo local Indigenous people are losing land um, because of climate change, the rising sea levels. Um, it's, they are losing their cultural land. They're losing the places where they had burial grounds, they, where they grow their food, their very life supports. To me, that is, it must feel like part of your body is being ripped away from you. And I feel that on a, a very, um, it almost makes me feel like I'm going to cry. I feel it on a very gut level in my stomach um, that I think it, I'm only touching on how an Indigenous must person must feel. I'm only presuming because I'm not Indigenous. My, I've been, my roots have been severed a long time ago, many generations ago, and a lot of those cultural practices of being connected to country, to our land, to our waters has been severed. So um, I'm re trying to re-establish that within myself. I can only imagine what it's like for our Indigenous people. Um, mm -hmm. I feel such awe and amazement at um, an appreciation for those, that, those people that have been able to keep their connection to culture and country. Um, I am not sure what role I could play in that, but if I had an opportunity to play a role helping our Indigenous communities, I would, but I feel I have so much more to learn from them that I could than, than what I could ever offer. Thank you. Can you share with our listeners one of the most beautiful experiences you've had connecting with your environment? Yeah, I, I think... Uh, I'm so fortunate I have this very, very frequently um, with my work at the Eco Centre and also, you know, I live near green spaces um, and near the water, so I, I'm so fortunate. Um, I can, I can um, just share yesterday I had a beautiful experience with a bunch of volunteers in the afternoon. We went out onto St Kilda Pier breakwater where we've got access to go out onto the breakwater where you can see the city, the boats, the water, and we were revegetating um, the breakwater because it's a penguin habitat. We've got over 1,400 penguins living on that breakwater. Really? That's it's quite, yeah, it's quite an extraordinary place because it's one of the only man-made structures in the world where these penguins have taken over, um, made this their home. Yeah. And it's 
I think it's the closest to a major city as well. So it's oh, it's a very extraordinary place to be and to feel all that life of these penguins around you. Mm-hmm. And um, so what we were doing was we were planting some plants back out onto the breakwater and we were trying to put little stones around them to um, stop the penguins pulling them straight out and taking them for their nests. And uh, we planted out uh, around about 300 little plants yesterday with volunteers. And we sat fairly close to each other, sometimes talking, but sometimes just in this beautiful flow state. We were mindful about what we were doing. And when I stood up and I walked along and looked at what everyone done, it was like an artwork. There were all these little beautiful circle stones and shells around these plants and people were just saying how wonderful they felt and I felt so wonderful. We were in this beautiful zone, in this beautiful place and doing something that just felt so good to do. And then as we finished up, the sun is starting to set and it's just glowing. It was just, um, you know, such a a beautiful, magical moment. Mm. Sounds exquisite. Mm. It almost evokes an experience I had 40 years ago at the Findhorn Foundation in Scotland. Now, how can we um, incorporate eco-psychological approaches into our everyday lives? We can do it on a very simple level. You know, look at ourselves as needing restorative little breaks, little retreats in our day where we just stop, we focus, we pause. It can be indoors, but especially it's going to be better outdoors for us. Think about the habits and rituals that we have that maintain, you know, our self-care rituals and habits that maintain us feeling grounded and calm so that we can respond to what's going on around us rather than react. Um, And, you know, just healthy ones, not brandies and cigarettes. Yeah, exactly. Healthy ones so that um, it is going to be something that, is leading us towards greater well-being, and and making notes of what they are that really do fulfil us, and they might be so simple. I lo- I've got a little toolbox of um, self-care cards that I keep in case I'm feeling really muddled in the head and so yep. confused. I can't think. What can I do to calm myself down? I'll grab it and I'll look at one and I'll try it. If that doesn't work, I'll try another, and one of them will work. Um, and I think those sorts of things are important to us um, because when we're in a bit of a stress state, um, our reasoning gets, you know, doesn't function quite so well. No. So, um, you know, things that we can do is just simply slow down, slow everything down that we're doing and say, do I have to be doing that? Can I just put that aside for now and I'll come back to it later? Slowing ourselves down in the city, especially we're rush, rush, rushing. We're always busy. Mm. Um, we could practice gardening, anything getting our hands into the soil because this is going to stimulate our immune system as well. Um, It also is said to um, have some very positive effects on our mental health and well-being by having our hands in the soil. Um, If we can practice uh, mindfulness in any any form or other and appreciation, gratitude practice, it Mm. can be just stopping, getting our breakfast and then suddenly just stopping, really being conscious of the moment. What are we about to eat? Where would have that come from? Even thinking of all the relationships that are formed and the connections that lead from this being right here on my plate to where did it come from? Who would have been involved in this process? 
and understanding then that greater perspective, that more, you know, the deeper time perspective of simple things such as food or water, giving gratitude for the food and the water. You know, we used to say a lot of prayers and grace before we would eat um, as part of a lot of our traditions and rituals. But if we were even to say this is non-religious, that we were just we just give a moment of thanks for mm-hmm. what we're about to eat. Thank you to the, you know, if the plant or the animal that has died for us to sustain us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, simple things, very, very simple. And um, they say about two hours a week, you know, over different times is is a good amount for us to, to help our well-being. But mm-hmm. Just think about having as many moments as you possibly can of awareness, not where we're walking out and we're on our phone or talking or having a meeting. It it can be really useful to do that in nature, but really bringing ourselves back to what are we sensing while we're in this space? What do I love? Something that attracts my eye. Why do I love it? And start to really have um, develop a relationship where you might say, my bamboo called me to it. It wants me there. Not that I you know, to look that there is a relationship. We don't know there's not. We don't know that bamboo isn't calling me and saying, hey, pay attention to me. Can you see my leaves are a bit droopy? I need some water. You know, we don't know that that doesn't actually occur. And I actually believe it does. <laughs> so I am constantly on the lookout and we, we, we might call it like Indigenous people might say the word didari, deep listening. But when we're thinking of deep listening, it's more like, we are listening with our whole body. We're really deeply sensing and tuning in. And the studies that I did in eco-psychology, my teacher talks about 54 different senses that we can acknowledge and pull them into play. And, and the more senses we have, the more connections we feel and the deeper our experience with nature can be. And then we feel those well-being benefits even on a deeper level. Plus we get that beautiful deep time perspective. Oh, probably another thing to point out there is to really take notice of that brain activity going on, which might be cultural, it might be based on a past experience, all kinds of things, worrying about something that is projected way into the future. But when we're out in nature, if we can bring ourselves back from the, the, the thinking, reasoning mind and bring about ourselves back to those senses, that's where we're going to have the, the more um, calm response and, and mm-hmm. be able to come from a different place. Mm. Now, if someone wants to learn more about this fascinating topic of eco-psychology, how would they go about doing it? So if they were so interested, they wanted to study it. Um, It is mainly in the US at the moment and UK and Europe. uh, And it has been, it's quite strong in those those, um, countries. Very, very little in Australia. So the closest thing here would be some studying something like environmental humanities. Right. Um, but there is also courses that you, now, especially with, since COVID, there are a lot more courses online. I have a friend who's a psychologist who's studying uh, eco-psychology online uh, at the moment. So they are, you know, usually a few months to get um, either a certificate or you can go much, much deeper and much, much further um, I have a, a bit more information on my website that tells you a bit more about what eco-psychology is. It leads you into um, finding out a bit more about the people that I studied which, with, which was uh, Project Nature Connect. And my, the main um, 
the founder of Project Nature Connect is now in his 90s. He lives in, uh, in, in the USA near the border with Canada um, on the San Juan Islands, beautiful part of the world. He is so connected in with nature that he sleeps in nature all year round on a platform out in nature. He goes into a hut to do his emails and his work. And wow. he, in his 90s, he walks up a hill every day behind him and runs down it. He's um, quite an inspirational person. Mm. So, uh, his name is Mike Cohen. I, I really admire him. He's a, a, quite an incredible man. So I studied with him and um, Project Nature Connect over five years, full-time sometimes, part-time other times. They were very flexible. It was all online, which was quite a challenge. So... Um, it would be ideal if we had something in Australia where we could actually meet more frequently person to person and trial out activities. Um, it would be much easier if we had something here. But yeah. um, While we're talking about your website, you might like to tell us what that is. So yes, so, um, it's called Green Song and that is um, www.greensong.info. And on there, there's the different methods and things that I do. And basically, I'm looking at how do we sustain ourselves? How do we sustain our communities? And how do we sustain our environment? And they're all interlinked. But first of all, what we have to do is come back to taking care of ourselves, making sure that we are, are in a space where we're capable of being in community, where we're capable of being with the environment. Sometimes it's easier to be with the environment than it is to be with community. Oh. And that, you know, so it's about um, working out what part we want to be involved in, how we want to be involved. And um, and that might be, you know, even if someone wanted to volunteer with the eco-centre where I'm on a project or they're in the community garden and we can at least just start a connection happening, even though I will not go into really super deep eco-psychology practices in that space, there are methods that we use. We've got people in our community garden from all different um, works, walks of life who are coming together with a shared purpose. Mm. And we all understand that we have a niche. We've got a role to play that's really meaningful in how this garden as a whole operates. And mm. so that is even part of eco-psychology when we think of natural systems thinking where it's like, this is part of this system, this is part of this system. We have a, a wonderful man who can sit for two hours and chop with secretaires tiny bits of plant material to make our compost. And he loves it. And he understands his purpose and his role. And he's he's so needed by us and so needed by our garden. Mm. And he's found his niche. He's found his per a great sense of purpose in what he's mm. doing. And he's essential to us. Wonderful. Now you've given us your website. Would you like to say that again, just in case people didn't take it down, didn't have a borrow with them when you yeah, sure. did it before? Yeah, so I've, I've also got a Facebook and an Instagram under Greensong Eco Psychology. Um, and the website is www.greensong.info. And on that page, there's also, you know, any current events I'm running, but I also am looking forward to doing more projects. I love collaborating with organisations and with different people. So I'm looking forward to doing some more collaborations with people and projects yeah. where we can actually do something that we've got a, you know, we've got a bit of a um, an end result that can come from it. And 
um, and then it can lead on to, to different projects, you know, so that we keep cycling through, not having to hold on to something forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this way we can also, lots of people can get involved in different ways. I always say to people, just see what attracts you. I'm not going to push anybody into doing anything or trying anything that they don't feel comfortable to with. Yeah. It can be on any level. Um, and I also uh, am very happy to do one-on-one -on -one, um, sessions with people. And uh, yeah, anything that people are wanting to maybe investigate a little bit deeper and want to do it with a nature experience, we can do it by just simply having a walk in nature. And um, can you make a comment about fee structure, how that works? It really varies. I, um, I try and make everything I do with Greensong affordable for absolutely anyone. And if there yep. was any problems, I would look at, you know, is there any way that would pay forward or is there any Skillshare trade we could do? Yeah. Um, but I always do a sliding scale regardless. So those with greater means can then support those with less means and nobody knows who each other are if they're in one of my groups. If I'm doing a group online, it will be a very, very small group because I want to be able to have a relationship with these people and we want to have a relationship with each other that allows us to have, to be able to go deep and have, and be really authentic and not be, not, and know that we're not judged for who we are and what we're doing in this space. So um, it's very important for me to spend time establishing um, what makes people feel supported and, and safe. Yep. And we can't really do, I, I find I'm not willing to do that in big groups. So I prefer to work in smaller groups. Even if I've got a, 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 some other facilitator assisting me, I'll still keep groups to about 12. Right. Um, yeah. And then if it's online, it'll be around about six or eight generally. Yeah. Fantastic. So um, is there anything else you'd like to draw to the attention of our listeners? We've had a, you know, a wide-ranging conversation. Hmm. I think um, to know that uh, any time where you are feeling that you're not your best and you're not, you know, coping or you're stressed, just remember that you're not alone with it, that it is part of us. We all go through this, even if there, there are people out there that say they don't. There would be a level they do. They're just, you know, maybe denying it because they don't want to, you know, bring that forward and, and share that about themselves. But really just remember that nature is here to help us. We're part of nature. We came from nature and we can always turn to nature and ask for help and turn to people that work with nature and work with them to gain a bit of insight into what our next steps might be. That there's always a solution and you're never, ever alone. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Deb Putin, Echo Psychologist. So thanks, Deb, for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge and insight with our listeners. And a big thank you to Terry for organising and interviewing today. I hope that everyone enjoyed today's show. And uh, you can find more of our shows at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, or on Spotify or wherever you happen to download your 3CR podcast. And if you'd like to share with us um, a story or feedback or any suggestions for future shows, we'd love to hear from you. So please email us at brainwaves at wellways.org. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Stay safe and we'll be back next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves on 3CR. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.